This is the PR Podcast, a show about how public relations helps you tell your story to the world. We talk with great PR practitioners who have the skills, creativity, and just plain savvy to get their clients noticed. Now here's your host, Jody Fisher. Hey, everyone, and welcome to the PR Podcast. I'm Jody Fisher. Thanks for joining us. Well, have you got yourself your PR Podcast plug yet? We've been mentioning this at the top of almost every show recently, um, and it's something that we created um, to let PR people who may be bad at promoting themselves, like me, uh, <laughs> promote themselves. Uh, send us a DM on Twitter at the PR podcast. Let us promote your passion project. It's your side hustle, right? It's your blog. It's your TikTok. It's your newsletter. It's your something that you do in your spare time, if you have any spare time. Um, uh, that that promotes you and what you do or what maybe what you believe in or what you're passionate about. It's your thing, right? It's the thing that gets you out of bed in the morning. Send us a DM on Twitter at the PR podcast and let us get you a PR podcast plug. Now we have a great guest today and someone who I have a past with. Let's get right into it. Delene Travis is Executive Director of Public Relations and Editorial Communications at Pratt Institute. She has spent the last two decades working with forward-thinking nonprofits that specialize in art, architecture, design, culture, social justice, and higher education. She's worked to develop visibility campaigns that inspire diverse audiences and elevate public awareness through consistent messaging, storytelling, media outreach, brand marketing, content development, web, public programming, advertising, community, and government outreach. She does it all. Winner of a national recognition by PR Daily's awards reputation crisis category, and she's moderated Spotlighting the Arts, a panel discussion featuring beat reporters at the CIC AASCU conference. Jolene, welcome to the PR podcast. Thank you, Jody. It's great to be here. All right. Now, we perched everybody on the edge of their seats right here when, when I said that we have a past. Um, so, so you and I worked together. You were my client way back when when you were working at the Cooper Union in New York City, uh, and I was working at Rubin, for Howard Rubenstein at Rubenstein Communications. Um, what was that? So, so th there was the, uh, the higher ed uh, experience that you have. Now you're at Pratt, also higher ed, right? Yep. And so what, what is it about higher ed that you, higher ed and PR and communication that you love? Right, well, I think it's also important to, to look at that both of those institutions are academic institutions as well as cultural institutions. And with that, it comes so much opportunity for thinking creatively, brainstorming, and with that, a whole host of reporters and different ways to think through PR. The, the uh, possibilities are endless. Yeah, and, and people who work in um, art PR, right, or artistic PR, I think are a special breed of people because we all have to be creative, but then the PR people who work with creative people have to be even more creative, I think at least. Uh, and, and I have, uh, in the work that I did with you at the Cooper Union, and I'm thinking of other clients like the Whitney American Museum of Art, um, those were real challenges for me because um, you have to really be on top of your game when you're talking with artistic and creative people, right? How do you do it? Well put. Well, you know, you have to really boil it down to its essence. You know, there is no hyperbole. There's no sensationalizing. It is really what it is. What's the goal? What's the, what's it trying, the piece trying to do? How does it accomplish it? What does it want to evoke? And even harder with all of that is student work. 
right? To get attention on student work. If you're coming from design, architecture, the art disciplines, you know, it's really, um, it's, it's a, a tough market. So it's really thinking about how can you parlay what's going on in the world at large and show how that surfaces in student work. And that was a really important part during the pandemic, you know, thinking about how our students were trying to create a more equitable society, a better New York, when everything was hard hitting news. And so that was a moment where I had to think, you know, we're gonna have to change the culture here. It can't just be about media placements. We need to think broader. We need to go wider. So of course, you know, during that time, um, it's funny, I, I had my one-on-one -on -one with the president and we were just having a conversation like how will Pratt be remembered in history during the pandemic? So I was like, hmm. So, you know, start working with your, your deans or your stakeholders, whoever, if you're in an agency or if you're in-house and start getting that arsenal of content. So then, yes, you're getting your stories to pitch, which is great, but we know it's a crowded market and, you know, the, the newsrooms are short staffed. So that's a tough push. Then thinking about your website, your editorial articles that you can push, your social media, you know, all these things are great. And of course, thinking of your president and moving, well, for not instance, it's a, it's a woman moving her out there on podcasts and talking about the key messages of the campaign that came to be, how is Pratt making a difference during the pandemic? But then Jody, you know, it kind of a light came on and he's like, that's what I'm using in my PR toolbox. What's beyond my PR toolbox? What else can I do that I can't do alone as a, for our team? We would have to partner. And that's when it came to public programs. That is a great way to work with um, building your target audience and bringing them in. You know, if the New York Times was unable to write our story of the good things that we were doing, let's turn it around and let's bring it to the New York Times. Let's bring them in. And so we had a public program. Uh, that was uh, attracting the architecture critic, Michael Kimmelman, who had just written the review on the Little Island. And for those who are outside of New York, it's this iconic, uh, beautiful public open space on the Hudson River. And so with that, um, it was a great opportunity to showcase our faculty member who had worked, who was a principal designer for the Little Island. So that was great faculty expertise and bringing in those, that, that audience. And, and how we did it was, you know, of course our hometown, Jody, our hometown uh, newspaper is the New York Times, right? So how, so we're gonna do our, our banner ads for, you know, some advertising there, but what moved the needle was the local sponsored content, the Gothamist. We were able to really get our message out, flesh it out, really tell our story, talk about our faculty expertise and you know, connect all those dots about what we were doing during the pandemic while bringing 60% of our event registration in just through that sponsor content. So that's just you know, one example of how we can think outside our PR toolbox by partnering. The other example is, uh, I'm thinking to myself that our students are, are, are working on projects about the pandemic and equity. I am sure that our competitors, I mean, peers, right? They're called our, <laughs> that our peers are having, you know, their students are thinking along the same lines. So I picked up the phone, 
right the phone and I started calling my counterparts at local colleges and you know through listening to what their students are working on I created the social media campaign those during a spotlight pegged to graduation time what are the designers of tomorrow thinking about how do they want to make a difference in our city and then I started thinking about you know we could go to the New York Economic Development Corporation they have social media feeds isn't it of their interest to think about how higher ed and designers are, are trying to envision a better tomorrow and then there's um New York forever other nonprofits our local business improvement districts the industries we have our annual NYC by design event so once again just trying to think about public relations is much more than media placements we are the public awareness strategy you bring up a, a, a point that I am just absolutely in love with, which, which is the connective tissue of public relations, right? And as you said, it's not just about media hits. It's not just about picking up the paper, turning on the TV and seeing that story about your client. It's really about building relationships and seeing the connective. I'm almost envisioning like, you know, the, the, the detective's uh, 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 bulletin board, you know, where they've got all the pictures of all the suspects and the strings that are connected to this guy's connected to that guy, connected to that guy. But it is true. And, 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 uh, you you outlined it really terrifically of how all these different seemingly disparate entities and organizations, whether they're media outlets, business improvement districts, uh, you know, NYEDC, uh, you name it on down the line, are all connected because we all live in the same community. We all live in the same place and we all have, at the very least, overlapping interests by uh, virtue of both geography and subject matter, which you and I both know are the two criteria that reporters use when they're deciding whether or not to, to cover a story. Um, and so great to hear you outline how you went beyond just the media placements to create it's it's almost like a snowball rolling downhill, you know, where you just you created a relationship, or you did a thing, and then it picked up this organization as it rolled, and that organization that it, as it rolled, and and um and pulling people in and giving them something to sort of feel a part of, right? Totally, and I think that's really you know it's you've mentioned um, your experience in agency and in house, and I think that's a, a wonderful conversation to have. One of the you know, I, I, working in academia, to get back to your earlier point, is as if you're working in an agency. You know, so we're the in-house crew. We don't have um, uh, comms people in each school. So we are the entire institution, five schools, research centers, exhibition platforms, you know, institutional advancement, student affairs, we're, we're doing it all. And I think it's really important the skill of um, consensus building and working to fostering those relationships, but it is that diversity. And that's what's something that's really fun that I, I appreciate coming from agency background. You know, that's where you're really uh, learning. You're earning your stripes, right? I remember, you know, doing my media list and briefing packets for a range of different clients, but how that prepared me for the career that I'm in today, because it's a transferable skill set. You just connect it with your passion. Now, at the same time uh, that you're doing all that, um, you need to have strong relationships and strong partnerships, both internally and externally. And I know that one of the things that you're passionate about is how you strengthen those internal partnerships and leveraging an agency or leveraging all of the resources, let's say, that you have at your disposal um, to achieve that goal. 
are there any other things that you did to sort of create that connective tissue and, and leverage all the things that you had at your disposal? Yeah, exactly. You know, um, I'm sure uh, almost everyone can relate to this on the call. If you're in an interview or if you're having a meeting or if you're networking, what, what have you. So, so, so what is it that you do? What, what do you work for? Who do you work for? And it's like an overwhelming, like, wow, where do I start? So um, one of the initiatives I spearheaded last year was a boilerplate for the Institute, not a mission statement, but an institutional boilerplate. Because if you get people across campus in one room and you ask them, you know, what does your organization do? They all describe it differently. And so that's why, you know, I went out on campus and I did a lot of listening and then worked with um, a team, built a boilerplate and then shopped it around. So it was inclusive. Everybody was key. Everybody had to see themselves in the boilerplate. And so of course got it approved with senior leadership, et cetera. And now it's on the website and what a guiding tool that is because you're not only having to socialize it, right? Making sure that people know about it, but then you have to sell it. People need to use it. It doesn't matter if people aren't using the material. So then I started doing a bit of a, a roadshow, right? It's going to the provost office, going to all the different stakeholders and you can apply that to your own company structure and then walking them through how they use it. You know, if you're applying for a grant and they're going to ask it, what is, what is Pratt? Well, here you go. When the president gives an intro remark at an event, this is how we describe who Pratt is or an exhibition mounting on the wall, whatever it is, there's so many uses. But if we aren't talking about it internally the same way, sure enough, externally, they're not talking about it in a cohesive way. Absolutely. And for the sake of describing it, right, the boilerplate is what most PR people think of as that last paragraph at the bottom of the release. As you said, here's who we are, here's what we do. But I think it's terrific that you are looking at it beyond the scope of just that simple press release or that thing. It's 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 almost like the elevator speech. It's like, here's the language we use to describe who we are and what we do. And it's very tactical, I think. You tell me what you think, but it's very tactical and practical. It's not a mission statement. Like we believe in the blah, 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 and the this and the that, which is all great, but that's not who you are and what we do. Um, you know, and and so I think it takes the the smarts and the savvy of a PR person like you to to really corral all of those opinions and all of that language and distill it down to those two or three or four sentences of here's who we are, here's what we do, here's a practical look at why we exist. Exactly, you hit the nail on the head. That's that's exactly right. And it's been so helpful to just to take that that approach and then transfer it to another project. Um, you know, when uh, after the pandemic, a lot of us had to think about our senior leaders, our presidents, our CEOs, and moving them out because we've all been inside for so long. You know, how do we how do we get out there? And so that's um, one of the initiatives that once again we have our PR toolbox. But thinking about what can we do outside? What can we do through partnering? So um, in terms of moving the president out, you know, it's um, you know, identifying our key audience, right? That's always our first step. And for this project, it's going to be business leaders, financial leaders, you know, people who are going to want to invest in your company organization and um, your elected officials, right? You want them to know who you are. You want them to put funding into your sector and community partners. So, um, so the first step, as we all know, is going to be, you know, tried to secure media placements. And Jody, as a wise man once said, you know, you got to fish where the fish are. So, 
we had to, you know, we're looking at those publications that those people are reading, right? We're, we're going to where the business and financial people are. But then thinking about the networking events, you know, no matter where you are, you know, across the U.S., there's going to be a Cranes uh, Power Breakfast. There's going to be something that's related in your area. And how do you prep your president or CEO to go into that meeting? And, you know, for, for me, I consider myself the wedding photographer because I'm walking around, I'm looking who everybody is in the room, I'm pulling over, I'm prepping the president, I'm giving her like the, the elbow pull to get her over, you know, just as screenly as I possibly can, but I am working that room. And one, you know, and how you can tell it's successful is if there's follow-up afterwards. But it's more than just that networking, right? Because then you go to the gala scene, right? It doesn't have to be a big gala, but, you know, just thinking about your, you know, where those people are coming together, because that's not only a great networking opportunity, but it's also where there's going to be a step and repeat. How are you thinking about getting that visibility of where your, your present is, who she or he rubbing, rubbing elbows with? So all of that is essential. And that ladders up to, uh, you know, when they want to have a meeting with your president or CEO, what is the first thing they do? We all know the answer. They Google that him or her. So if you're going to that page, what are they seeing? So that is part of thinking about what is the president's values? What do you want that key audience to know about him or her? How are you designing that page? And that's something that's ongoing where I'm working now, trying to figure, you know, trying to map out where are those clips to showcase our charismatic president, where are those pull quotes. And so that's a really exciting initiative. So those are things that we're doing on our team. Now, as I said before, going beyond the toolbox, how can we partner? Well, once again, public programming. You know, who can you think about that you know about in your network that you could put together an event with? Because at that moment, you're not only picking your, your panelists and your speakers and your moderators, if it's a reporter or if it's someone in the, the business financial world that you want or your key audience that you're trying to meet with or having trouble getting to or a politician, maybe there's a request for them to serve on this panel. And then when you have that lockdown, think of the audience, your target audience that you can bring in. There's so much possibility and follow up with receptions that you could really get your leadership in front of all the people that you've been working so hard to build bridges toward and connecting. And then the last one is something that, you know, is um, sometimes in the PR wheelhouse, sometimes it's more in public affairs, but it's really beautiful. We can meld the two together, working with lobbyists thinking about who do they know, the movers and shakers, the key influencers. And so when you have all of that internal and external partnering working together, you know, you can really do something and lift up your senior leadership. I hope people have been taking notes for the last couple of minutes here, Jillian, because everything that you just mentioned um, are, are so important to seeing the big picture of what public relations actually is. Um, and I think it can make the field of public relations so much more exciting, uh, especially to a general practitioner like me, um, you know, someone who, who is not necessarily just focused on, on uh, media attention, but in fact wants to move the needle for a client. And I have several not-for-profit clients, especially really love the kind of things that you were just talking about, about how can they get connected with the right audiences to affect support however they define support whether that's volunteer whether that's money whether that's grants you know donations what have you um so so terrific terrific stuff now um you also um i know we we always talk about pr people measuring impact and how you actually show hey we're doing this um this is having an impact and it's very easy to point to 
the pay, the, as you said, you know, the story in the New York Times or, you know, the grant that comes in, you know, that actually gets funded or whatever. Are there other ways you like to manage impact with your leadership? Oh, yes. That's one of my favorite questions. Going back circa 2017, right? Doesn't, doesn't seem that far, but yeah, it seems very far. At the that same was forever ago. <laughs> and that's when it came, you know, I, I, I need a member on my team who can measure the impact of campaigns for PR because marketing, you know, they're our brother and sisters, definitely. There are siblings, but they got it a lot easier. They've got, you know, there's hard work hitting numbers, you know, it's quantitative and we often bring the qualitative. So, um, you know, I really thought through this position and how we could measure um, our impact. And part of it is going to be just gathering those insights. What are those key takeaways? And how do we give our leadership the longitudinal view, that big perspective of just not the immediate click-throughs, but what does it actually mean? And then the next step was investing in a social listening tool. That is a game changer for so many reasons. I mean, it helps us assess if our messaging is working. I mean, it's wonderful. We have all this positioning and great you know, um, key messages that we're, we're pushing out there. But if they're not sticking, if they're not resonating, then you know we need to move on. We need to change gears a little bit here. So that's a great way that we can see, you know, if we're um, how many users it's, it's reaching, um, you know, is, it, is our message being shared externally, and then also, which is also um, kind of fun, is the competitive analysis portion. You know, we can take a look and see how our our peers are talking about, let's say, diversity, equity, inclusion, right? we can see that they're actually messaging more. They're, they're putting more out there, especially on social than we are, but we have higher engagement. So it's a real interesting conversation about quantity versus quality and thinking that through. But my favorite part about, um, if one can say a favorite part about a listening, social listening tool, but it really is, is the advantage that it gives you in a crisis because we are able to assess and look at you know, things that are percolating, maybe it's higher ed, maybe it's in our community, maybe it's in our backyard, it's in the industry, all these hot button issues, we can identify problems before they become problematic. And so what that does is give us head time to alert senior, senior staff or to get to the president to start working on what could be those different scenarios and draft those press statements or those talking points for the people who may be serving on the front line. Yeah, so much, so much great stuff there. And I agree, the social listening tool is a game changer. I've been using one myself uh, just for the last couple of years. And, and just to see the things that you wouldn't normally see and to have a tool like that actually connect the dots um, is really terrific because I think it also goes beyond the vanity metrics, the likes and the shares and the, you know, things like that. Um, yes, it can deliver you the comments, but it can really also, um, I think, you know, like I said, connect the dots of, of what's going on and the competitive analysis. So long as you don't get caught up in chasing the dragon <laughs> of, well, we got to be better than them or well, we got to, they did that thing. We got to do that thing too. Um, you can at least have a view of the landscape and knows kind of where you fall. Um, so you can occupy the space you want to occupy. And I think that's the most important piece, at least for me and what I work with my clients about when we look at competitors, peers, as you put it, <laughs> um, and, and you're right, they're peers, uh, <laughs> but everybody loves, I love to say competitors because everyone's so competitive. Um, 
<laughs> it's important to to understand, okay, we we occupy this space. They're over there, they're over there, they do this, they do that. And that's all well and good. That's fine. It's the way the universe should be, right? You've got to focus on your thing, but know that you're doing your thing and you're doing it well. I think that's the that's the piece about the social listening and the and the competitive analysis. So that is really terrific. Um, now tell me you do all this as like a one or two woman show. <laughs> <laughs> because you you also brought up the concept of of being spread thin you know we we've heard a lot in the last 15 20 minutes here about everything that you do are you managing this with a team or how much of this is on your plate oh yes no no i have a, a wonderful team but it's important to to think about the size you know probably like a mid-sized college and we have um we have a you know a writer, we have a media person, public one of each, one person looking at the metrics and you know a copy editor and looking at how this all comes together. We have um a couple of uh, you know freelancers that we can keep on speed dial because it's really important if you're not telling your story, who else is and getting it out there. But a lot of our work is done through partnering. And it's a, it's a great team, but you need to have one in these days, you know, that, that's nimble and that can think, okay, this isn't working, but what else could we be doing? You know, because a lot of times, Jody, as, as you know, you've talked about with other guests, you know, is you may not get that press placement, press placement, but how can you find something at home? You can find it at home and there's different ways to think about it. And in fact, that's part of the culture change because, you know, when you meet with clients, they often say, I want a press release right? That's the first thing that they say. And you're like, well, talk to me about what you're trying to do. And then you're like, okay, so you want people to come to your event or your exhibition, or you want them to know about your news. Well, that's visibility. Well, for just, you know, for not a lot of money, you could really boost and blast that out on social media and get that recognition. You know, a press release or, you know, it's just one email that goes typically to one reporter in the hopes that, that person writes. You know, we all know it can be a little bit more complicated and thorough than that, but that's the essence. And if it's if it's buzz you're looking for, you know, let's let's there's there's other things outside of the the PR toolbox. Hundred percent, hundred percent agreed. This has been a wonderful conversation, Jolene. And and like I said, I think I'm hoping that people took notes, or at the very least, will rewind and listen to this again because I know that I will be. Um, so thank you for sharing all this uh, with us. We are going to segue now into the rapid fire question portion of our podcast. You told me you're a listener, so you know what's coming here. Um, uh, so let's just jump right into it. Rapid fire question number one: What is your favorite news source? It's a cocktail, Jody. I can't. I can't go to just one. I would have to say, if I'm doing local news, it is the city. That is an amazing um, newcomer to the field, uh, and it, what's so great about their local coverage is that you will see their coverage impact change. I don't want to call a particular mayor out, past or present, but you'll see that the city broke a story, and the next day there was some some changes happening. And what's really cool about the city is that. As we know, as uh, newsrooms have been shrinking, the Cranes reporters, the Wall Street Journal local reporters are now writing for the city. So I'm not doing their PR, but it certainly sounds like I am. For culture oh, what news- a Great source. Yeah, great source. Go ahead. For culture news, um, Surface, I love their e-newsletter. I feel like I can get that roundup and I'm getting it all. Design, art, architecture, beyond. I'm really- feeling that that's a wonderful source. And then my last one, because everybody reads the Times, you know, but for the weekend read, the Wall Street Journal, they've come a long way. I really, I, I get a lot of good ideas and leads from the journal nowadays. 
That's great. Great to hear those uh, and 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 sources that we normally don't hear. So it's it's nice to hear a little bit of variety in these uh, in these answers. Rapid fire question number two for you: What is your favorite social media platform? I have to go with LinkedIn. I think it's an amazing resource tool, just eye opening. What you can learn, what you can see, connect with people. It's wonderful. Platform. Every time I think LinkedIn is getting boring, it surprises me. That's what I like about it. So true. It's never the same platform week to week. I think it's really amazing. Mm-hmm. Rapid fire question number three, and you're a New Yorker here, coffee or alcohol? One in the morning, one in the evening. You can pick which one. <laughs> very good. Very good. That's a good answer. Rapid fire question number four. Also, come on, a New York answer here. Your favorite on the run food. Well, it's not, it's, you know, it's not my favorite food, but if it has to be on my, on the run, right, it's going to be hard boiled eggs. It's kind of sad. You know what? If you're working in an event and you don't have time, that is a great thing to put in your bag. You can hide in a corner if you need to. And then you've got some, (laughs) somehow all events are from six to eight. And I don't know about you, but I certainly get hungry at that time. Absolutely. Rapid fire question number five. What do you want to be after you finish this career? Hmm. So, you know, it's interesting because I've, I've, de- I've dedicated my career to cultural institutions and to people who bring in new ideas. I find that so exciting. So travel is a big part of who I am. I've been to more than 30 countries. And so I definitely see that continuing when I'm retired. But I think it's also really important to, to note that, um, you know, culture is something that I'm instilling in my home as well. My seven-year-old child has been brought up speaking French, even though my husband and I, we have no French lineage. I was just a French minor at Parsons in Paris, and we have a 100% French household. So in retirement, I see my husband and I, we've been talking about, um, you know, retiring in France and using that as our launch travel pad. <laughs> that is very, that is very cool. I, I am a French dropout. <laughs> No, <laughs> it's not I, and, and even and even worse, I I did so poorly in Latin in my first year of college that uh, my professor uh, told me that uh, they would pass me as long as I never took Latin again. <laughs> so not much, not much in the foreign language department. But I love the plan. I love the plan that you and your husband have. Well, Jolene, this has been a great conversation and terrific rapid fire question answers too. Uh, please let people know how they can find you online. Yeah, absolutely. On uh, LinkedIn, Jolene Travis, and on Twitter, Jolene Travis seventeen. All right. Is any significance to the seventeenth? Since you threw it out there, we got to ask. No, it was given to me. <laughs> okay, there you go then. Very good. Very good. Well, thanks again, Jolene. Nice to talk with you again after all these years. And thank you, everyone, for listening. Please remember to subscribe to the show. Connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at The PR Podcast and send us a question or a comment. Our intro is by Christopher Appolt. You can find him and his fantastic photography on Instagram at Christopher underscore A-P-P-O-L-D-T. Check him out there and hire him for all your photography needs. You can find me online at Jody Fisher on all the socials and on the web at jodyfisherpr.com. We'll see you next time on the PR Podcast. Mm-hmm.